0: I hadn't done an altar call yet. (laughs) Everyone's invited. Would you turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Hebrews once again? We are making good headway through this book as we study it together, this magisterial book of God's Word. And this morning we are at the end of chapter 5, chapter 5, verse 11. And when you find that in your Bibles, would you rise, if you're able, out of reverence for God's word as we read it together. Hebrews chapter 5, starting in verse 11, reading to chapter 6, verse 12. Hear the word of God. About this we have much to say, and it is hard to explain, since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith towards God, and of instruction about washings, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. And this we will do, if God permits. For it is impossible, in the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted of the heavenly gift, and have shared in the Holy Spirit, and have tasted the goodness of the word of God, and the powers of the age to come, and then have been fallen away, to restore them again to repentance. They are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding him up to contempt. For land that has drunk the rain that often falls on it and produces a crop useful for those whose sake it is cultivated receives a blessing from God. But if it bears thorns and thistles, it is worthless and near to being cursed, and its end is to be burned. But imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. This is the powerful word of the living God. You may be seated. Well, this morning we have come to Hebrews chapter 6. This is a well known passage in the Bible. And it's well known because of the fact that on the surface level, it seems to be saying that real and genuine Christians can fall away from the faith and so lose their salvation. And this has been a debate that has a long history among Christians. Can a real Christian lose his or her Salvation. Those who believe that a real Christian, yes, can lose his or her faith and salvation, that the Holy Spirit can abandon a genuine believer, they argue that if, if it's not true, if you cannot lose it, then what's going to happen? Well, you're going to get lazy in your faith. That You will begin to let things slide and that you will stop pursuing holiness. So that's what the one side says. On the other hand, those Christians who believe that a real Christian has assurance of persevering to the very end by the sovereign grace of God, they argue that if you could actually lose your salvation, then you would always be kept in a state of fear, terrified that at any moment you could fall into sin and lose your faith, your salvation and even the Holy Spirit. So this is is a long debate with a long history. And this is a, basically, it's a debate between the two main systems of theology named Arminianism and Calvinism. And each of these two systems have five main points or five basic points. And the last of those points, the fifth point of Arminianism, says that a real Christian can lose their salvation. But the fifth point of Calvinism responds and says the very opposite, that a real Christian is preserved by God to persevere to the very end. And so the main passage that those of the Arminian persuasion point to in order to support their view is this very passage that we are studying today. Hebrews chapter 6. But in contrast, those of the Calvinist or Reformed persuasion point to the fact that Jesus himself said in John 10, verses 27 to 29, Jesus said, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. And also they would point to a passage like uh, Ephesians 1, 13 and 14, which says, "In, In Christ you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of God's glory. So there the, whole, the Apostle Paul says that true believers have been sealed with the Holy Spirit, who and he is the guarantee of our inheritance, until we acquire possession of that inheritance. It couldn't be much clearer there that, that true believers are preserved by the sealing of the Holy Spirit until that inheritance is actualized until that inheritance is received. So those passages teach that genuine Christians are protected by God under His mighty hand until their salvation is completely accomplished. So where does that leave us then? Does that mean there's a contradiction between Bible passages? Does Hebrews chapter 6 actually say that a real Christian can lose his or her salvation? And that's what we're mainly going to be talking about this morning as we worship the Lord together through the study of His Holy Word. And I believe that we're going to be able to see how Scripture is being consistent with itself this morning. And so we're going to look uh, and we're going to study this passage in four sections. So That means there are four points to look at. First of all, we're going to look at the immaturity of baby's milk. That's verses 5 to 11. Secondly, we're going to look at building upon the foundation that has been laid. That's chapter 6, verses 1 to 3. And then the third section, the third point, is the impossibility of restoration. That's verses 4 to 8. And finally, the fourth section, the fourth point, is confident of better things. Verses 9 to 12. So the immaturity of baby's milk. Building upon the foundation, the impossibility of restoration, and confident of better things. So let us begin by looking at the first section in our passage in Scripture, the immaturity of baby's milk. Let's look at verses 11 to 14 once again of uh, chapter 5, looking in our Bibles. About this we have much to say, and it is hard to explain since you've become dull of hearing For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. I don't know about you, but I get the sense here that that Hebrews, the preacher here, he's getting a little frustrated. He's talking to people who he believes should be farther along by now. He says in verse 12 that by now, realistically speaking, you should be teachers of the faith. You should be teachers by this point. But instead, you need to go over the basics yet again. You need to be retaught the elementary truths of Scripture. You should be teaching others by now, discipling others in the faith, and yet you still need basic teaching. Hebrews says here, you still need milk. You can't even chew on solid food yet. And who is it that can only handle milk and not solid food? A baby. And this is what verse 13 says. Everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. My version says child, but literally it's baby. Babies live off of milk. And if you're still a little baby in the faith, living off of milk and satisfied with milk, not wanting to grow, not wanting to mature, then you are going to be unskilled, unexperienced, unqualified when it comes to righteousness. God has called us to live lives pleasing to him, lives of righteousness. And if we're still babies demanding milk, we will not be able to handle the Christian life. We will not be able to walk it out because we will still be sitting there crying out for milk. In verse 14, Hebrews tells us what maturity looks like. What does it look like to grow up in the faith? He says it's the discernment between good and evil. It's the ability to distinguish between right and wrong, between what pleases God and what displeases God. Because often when we talk about discernment, we're talking about just being able to figure out what's biblically right and biblically wrong. But it goes beyond that to doing what is right and rejecting what is wrong. Babies can't do that. They can't discern yet between right and wrong, good and evil. And they certainly cannot choose to do good. How does that happen? How does this happen? How does this lack of growth occur? How can someone fail to develop, to stagnate, to not grow, to maturity, well, it's back in verse 11. Verse 11, Hebrews gives us the reason for this. He says, you have become dull of hearing. Dull of hearing. The word dull also means lazy. And in verse 12 of chapter 5, all the way at the end of the, of the chapter, or at the end of our passage, the same word is being used. And there is translated as sluggish. So Hebrews is telling his listeners in verse 11, You have become dull, lazy, sluggish of hearing. And this is why things are so difficult for for me to explain. This is why it's so difficult for you to understand. This is why you're still on milk instead of solid food. This is why you're still babies, spiritually speaking. Maybe right now you're feeling a little bit uncomfortable. This is a convicting passage. Even as I was studying it, I was convicted. Because the question that Hebrews is asking, even us today, is are you still a spiritual baby? Still drinking milk? How long have you been a Christian, and how much have you actually grown? Should you be a teacher of others by now, and you're still needing to be retaught the basics? And when Hebrews says being a teacher here, he doesn't mean formally teaching in the church or getting up and, and leading a Sunday school or a Bible study or something like that. But it does mean being able to disciple someone else in the basic Christian teaching and how to live a Christian life. Could you honestly do that? Could you disciple a new believer into growing in the faith? Or do you still just need discipling yourself? I think that's what Hebrews is talking about here. This is convicting. What would it be like? Take a moment in our imaginations. What would it be like to stand before the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with a milk mustache and the baby bottle still in your hand? And you're trying to hide it behind your back so that he doesn't have to see it. Can you imagine with me how embarrassing that would be? Is that how you want to stand before Jesus Christ, whom you call Master and Lord? Do you want to have to explain yourself to Him why you were a Christian for 10, 20, 30, 40 years, and you remained a spiritual infant, unskilled in the word of righteousness, undiscerning between good and evil, unable to disciple anyone else in His ways? I don't. I want to stand before Jesus Christ with my, uh, with my face covered in barbecue sauce. <laughs> with bits of beef still stuck in my teeth. With a bib around my neck with meat stains running all down it. The growth that brings maturity Requires discipline on a daily basis. It requires putting the Lord first in everything. Very few of us truly put the Lord first. For most of us, you know what we're doing? We're putting our jobs first, then our families, then ourselves. And the Lord is a distant fourth, if that. He gets whatever is left over. And then we wonder why we aren't growing in Christ. But Jesus himself said that in order to follow him and to love him properly, he must come first in everything. He must be your highest priority. When that happens that is when spiritual growth will follow. You'll begin to see fruit of holiness and wisdom and righteousness and the fear of the Lord at work in your life. So that is our first point this morning. Don't be satisfied with the immaturity of baby's milk. Push on. Grow in Christ. Mature. Be discipled and disciple others. Become experienced in the area of righteousness. Discern good from evil. To find out what pleases the Lord. Our second point this morning looks at verses 1 to 3 of of chapter 6. We must be sure to build upon the foundation. So verses 1 to 3 say, Therefore let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance, from dead works and of faith toward God and of instruction about washings the laying on of hands the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment and this we will do if God permits so in verse 1 here it's talking about a foundation that maturity moving from milk to solid food growing up in Christ maturity means building upon this salvation or this foundation That has been laid. In verse 1. Hebrews identifies this foundation. As the elementary doctrine. Doctrine just means teaching. So the elementary teaching. Of Christ he says here. And in the Greek. It actually says of the Christ. And so I believe. That Hebrews has in mind here. The more technical term. Messiah. So what he's saying here is. Let us leave the basic elementary foundational teachings about the messiah and then grow on, grow towards maturity the jewish people had been longing for the promised messiah for centuries by this time and each of the foundational elements that hebrews begins to list here is connected to the messianic hope repentance from dead works is what john the baptist preached to prepare the way for the messiah as he called the people to put true and genuine faith in God. Then in verse 2, purification rituals were important to the Jewish people for making someone right with God in preparation for the Messiah's coming. Even the laying on of hands meant the blessing and inclusion of someone in the community of those waiting for Messiah. The resurrection of the dead was intimately connected with the Messiah's coming. The eternal judgment would be based on how someone responded to the Messiah's reign. And so all of these things that Hebrews lists here are actually Jewish foundations. Because believing in all those things does not make someone a Christian. These are all Jewish beliefs that laid the foundation for the coming of Jesus Christ. But a Jewish person could still believe in all of these basic things, while still rejecting Jesus as the promised Messiah. And so Hebrews is telling his listeners here, I'm not going to lay this foundation again. You guys want to go back to the basic Jewish position of hoping for the Messiah while rejecting that Jesus is the Messiah. But That's not how maturity works. Maturity does not go backwards, does not regress. It goes forwards, it presses onwards, it grows. The foundation is important, yes, for it lays the groundwork for everything built on top of it. But we must build on top of that foundation. And so Hebrews is saying that the foundation is is Jewish. But what is built upon that foundation is Jesus Christ. And he is what truly matters. It doesn't matter how great your foundation is if you don't have Jesus. So what's the application of this point for us today? Well, many of us like the ABCs of Christianity. We like the easy stuff, the basics, the elementary things. I just want to love Jesus, many of us say. But then we don't grow in our understanding. We don't get involved in ways that we could grow. We don't get involved in Bible studies. We only worship God in church maybe once a month. We get satisfied with our simple faith. We're not building upon the foundation to grow in Christ. So we don't really want to think deep things about God. If things ever get difficult or or hard to understand, it's just much easier for us to turn our brains off or maybe to think about something else but well, we should feel the conviction and the sting of rebuke in this passage that to mature means to build upon the foundation that presses on towards spiritual growth. And so let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and move on, press on to maturity. So this brings us to our third section, verses 4 to 8, and also our third point, the impossibility of restoration. So let's begin by studying the first three verses together very closely. Verses 4 to 6 of chapter 6. For it is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift and have shared in the Holy Spirit and have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the age to come and then have fallen away, to restore them again to repentance since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding him up to contempt. And so the big question to ask here is this. Is this passage talking about real Christians? It's talking about Christians, yes, certainly. But is it talking about real Christians? Genuine Christians? Saved Christians? Is Hebrews saying here that real, genuine, saved Christians can fall away and lose their salvation? Well, let's look at the verbs being used here. Enlightened, tasted, shared, tasted again. Well, that maybe makes it sound like people who have not yet truly grasped the truth. Maybe... They are people who have experienced the light of the gospel around them, so they've been enlightened by it. Or maybe they have tried the the heavenly gift out by by having a taste of it, but they haven't really swallowed it down yet. Maybe they've had a taste of the goodness of God's word and just had a glimpse of the powers of the coming age. And so if if that's the case, then we're not talking about real Christians yet. There are people who are receiving indirect benefits from being in the church and from being around real Christians, but they themselves have not yet truly become Christians. So if Hebrews is talking about false or pretend Christians, well, then that makes sense. Then we can easily explain why they fell away. They fell away because they were never real Christians to begin with. But I think there are several problems with that approach. First of all, look at verse 4 with me. Look with me at the word once there. It says, those who have once been enlightened. And the word once is an important word in this book. Hebrews uses it several times. And each time he uses it, this word carries the sense once for all. So he's really saying here, those who have been once for all. Enlightened. And furthermore, what about this word enlightened? Well, turn over with me just a few chapters. Turn to Hebrews 10, verse 32, just for a moment. Just flip over there. It should just be a couple pages, a few pages in your Bibles. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 32. Here's what Hebrews says here, 32 and 33. He says, but recall the former days when... After you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. So here in chapter 10, Hebrews is using this term, enlightened, to describe the time that his listeners came to faith in Jesus Christ. So it seems that to be enlightened in the mind of Hebrews means To have true knowledge of faith in Christ. And so back in chapter 6, when Hebrews uses the same verb to be enlightened, he seems to be talking of true faith that happened once for all. So flip back to chapter 6. It says that they shared in the Holy Spirit. Well, how can you truly share In the Holy Spirit. Unless you are a real believer. A genuine Christian. And then look at verse 6. It says that they would be crucifying again. Well how can they crucify the Son of God again? If they had never truly accepted. His sacrificial death in the first place. So that just leaves this idea of tasting. But if we understand that tasting in the Jewish mind was connected with acceptance and experience, then really all of these things do come together to point to real Christians being talked about here. So if we have established that these are real, genuine, saved Christians that Hebrews is talking about here, then does that mean that they can lose their salvation by falling away? Well, I think not so fast. Let's look again at verse 4. Begins, it is impossible. Let that word sink in for a moment. And in the Greek, it's this word that comes first in the sentence. So Hebrews is emphasizing it. It is impossible. What is impossible? It says, it is impossible to be restored to repentance. It is impossible to be restored to repentance. And let that sink in for a moment. Because usually when people say that a real Christian can lose his or her salvation, they mean, usually they mean that they can always come back later. That they can always repent again at another time and therefore become a Christian again. And that's why it's, it's often said that the flower of Arminianism or the flower that represents Arminianism is a daisy. He loves me. He loves me not. He loves me. He loves me not. But what is this text saying? This text is saying that it's one and done. This means that you could become a Christian at the tender age of 10 and then lose your faith at age 16, and then that's it. You're locked in to going to hell because you can't repent again, this text is saying. So that would mean, in that hypothetical situation, from the age of 16 until the day you died, there would be no possibility of salvation for you. Because Hebrews says that it's impossible. You cannot re-crucify the Son of God all over again. He says later on, there's no more sacrifice for sin left available. Wow. So I read that. And I think, well, therefore, if it is true that you cannot be restored to repentance, then it follows that it must also be true that it is impossible for a real Christian to fall away. And in accordance with the rest of what Scripture teaches, it's impossible for them to fall away because God will not lose any of those who truly belong to him. So the the impossibility of being renewed to repentance includes the impossibility of falling away. And I think verses 7 and 8 really help out here. Because in verses 7 and 8, Hebrews now adds an analogy or a little parable here. He gives us a little help to understand what he has been saying. So verses 7 and 8 say... For land that has drunk the rain that often falls on it and produces a crop useful to those whose sake it is cultivated receives a blessing from God. But if it bears thorns and thistles, it is worthless and near to being cursed, and its end is to be burned. So imagine with me, imagine two fields lying side by side, two meadows. Both receive rain falling down from the sky, and they both soak up this life-giving rain. but the one field produces bountiful crops of wheat and barley and grain, and the other field produces thorns and weeds and thistles. And in that case, the first field is held under the blessing of God, for it is true, and it's doing what it's supposed to do. But the second field is called worthless here, because it's false, It's not doing what it's supposed to do. And in the end, it says it will be cursed by God. And really, this is the very same thing that that Jesus himself said in his parable of the seeds. Remember what he said there? He said that there are four soils that receive seeds, but only one of those soils produced fruit. Only one of those soils represented a true and genuine Christian. And this is the very same thing that James said. In the book of James, remember what he said? He said, you can recognize true faith by the good works that it produces. And you can recognize false faith by its lack of good works. And so it is impossible for a fruit-producing, genuine Christian to fall away. But it is possible for a fruitless, false Christian to fall away. Because a fruitless Christian is no Christian at all. They've never truly been enlightened. They've not tasted of God's goodness or had a share in the Holy Spirit. So when they fall away, it just means that their true nature has finally been revealed at long last. So this morning we've looked at the immaturity of baby's milk. We've looked at the importance of building upon the foundation that has been laid just looked at the impossibility of restoration this brings us to the last section this morning verses 9 to 12 and the point is confident of better things verse 9 though we speak in this way yet in your case beloved we feel sure of better things things that belong to salvation for god is not unjust as so as to look o- overlook your work and the love that you've shown for his name in serving the saints as you still do. And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness, to have the full assurance of hope until the end, so that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Hebrews feels confident that none of what he has been saying applies To his listeners, he is confident, he is sure that they are true believers because they are bearing the fruit of faith in serving the saints in the name of God. But verse 11 carries a warning for Hebrews' desires that they will will not go back to Judaism, but rather that they will press on, press forward in full assurance in the hope of salvation until the very end that they will not grow sluggish or lazy in their Christian walk. And one of the ways that someone avoids laziness in the Christian faith is by imitating those who have walked in the faith beforehand. And so we look to those who through faith and endurance have finished the race and inherited the promises of God. So the purpose of our passage this morning is to motivate and to warn. The motivation is Hebrews telling us to grow up and to seek maturity, to move on from the basic elements of the faith towards full adulthood in the Christian faith, to move from milk to meat. The warning is that there's only one repentance, so falling away is not an option. Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, the Son of God, cannot Be exposed to public disgrace and humiliation by being re-crucified all over again. So don't give up. Don't give in. Endure to the end. Fill up your heart with awe for the gospel and press on. Don't become dull of hearing or sluggish in your Christian walk, but keep your eyes fixed on the glorious truth of the gospel. Which promises eternal life to those who trust in the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Father God, it is the cry of my heart that I would grow in Christ. It is my prayer for all of us who are seated here this morning. I pray that we would not leave this house without the conviction that I need to grow and I need to continue growing. Father, protect us from being dull of hearing and sluggish in our faith. Father, help us not to be satisfied with the milky things of the faith, but to press on towards the meaty things, to grow in righteousness, the desire to pursue holiness that, that pleases you. To gain that discernment and wisdom that can distinguish good from evil. I pray, Father, that the warning of Hebrews chapter 6 would also echo in our minds. But there is only one repentance. There is no hope of restoration after falling away. And Father, there is is comfort in that, but there is also great um, conviction, Father. That let none of us reveal that we actually have a false and pretend heart. But if we are genuine and true believers, let us cling to the truth of Scripture. That no one can snatch us out of your hand, that we have been sealed in the Holy Spirit. And also that it is impossible for us to fall away. Because we are safe in your hands. But Father, let us not become complacent in that either, Father. But let us press on to serve the saints. Let us press on to grow in knowledge and understanding and love for you. And may we be a blessing to all those around us, Father. We thank you for this time of worship. We pray now that we would worship you by now going and living these things up. Give us that strength and discipline day by day to grow in you, Father. Convict our hearts if if the Lord Jesus Christ is not the greatest and highest priority in our lives. Let us repent today, falling on our knees and ask him for forgiveness to make him the be-all, end-all in every area of our lives. Father, may you be glorified in all these things. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.